2: Right now on Fast, what a difference a week makes. Ten-year yields were hitting 15-plus-year highs just last Tuesday. They've fallen 25 basis points since then. So if rates hit their peak, and is that the green light stocks needed to get back into rally mode? Plus crypto rising, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust notching a big win in its fight to become an ETF today. The news that sent the entire crypto space rallying and where we go from here. And later, two left for dead stocks getting a boost from one top Wall Street firm. Why analysts say these names may be sending investors a strong signal. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Bono and & Ice and Guy and guest trader Dan Suzuki, Deputy Chief Investment Officer at Richard Bernstein Advisors. We start off with a major reversal in the rates market treasury yields falling to their lowest level in nearly three weeks the two-year seeing its biggest basis point drop since early may the 10-year now trading with a 4.1 handle it was just over 4.3 percent just a week ago today's drop follows disappointing consumer sentiment and job vacancy numbers otherwise known as jolts stocks getting a boost from the yield decline the nasdaq rising almost two percent the best day of the month tesla airbnb on Semi, NVIDIA, among the big winners, the S&P 500, meantime, saw its best performance since June 2nd. So have we seen the rally, the, the peak in rates? And if so, is this the all-clear for the rally in stocks? Tim, you say yes. All-clear.
3: That's a big statement right there. I'm not saying it's all-clear time. I, I think some of this is just really where we've come from. And the dramatic move we saw in rates was something that I think a lot of the market was not positioned for. We know what higher rates mean for equities, whether you're crunching your, your discount rate or, or whether you're looking at the short end, whether it's inflation expectations. I think that's the question. You have to ask yourself, why did rates go up uh, as they did uh, dramatically? And I think it's a combination. It's 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 inflation forwards are actually going higher. Um, I think it's a Fitch downgrade. I think it's supply-demand dynamics, the refunding schedule. I think it's rates around the world. Um, and all of these things don't get a lot better. So I, I'm just going to say, I actually think rates hold, you know, kind of around here I don't think they're going to go a lot lower uh, I look at the two year and I would say if you if you remove covid which is a big removal but um, rates have been going higher at the short end for a long time they've yeah. been going higher for 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 five or six years so um, i think rates are are higher for the foreseeable but we were just think of the repositioning in equity markets over the last five or six weeks um, and now since we had that repositioning you've actually seen semis continue to reassert themselves. They're up 7 percent since uh, August 18th. So over the last 10 days, you've seen the Qs outperform the S&P. I'm not saying we're off to the races again. I'm saying that obviously markets were were really under a lot of stress. Um, I think we have seasonals that are going to make it really tough in September. uh, But I think we're going to rally a couple more weeks here. We're going to get to 4550.
2: Ultimately, is this going to be a head fake, Dan?
4: Uh, no, I don't think it's going to be a head fake. I think, uh, I think Tim's absolutely right. I think in the near term, rates have peaked for now. Mm-hmm. And I think the answer to whether that's going to be the case going forward is what the growth trajectory looks like. I think we're getting a lot of mixed signals from all over the economy, from all the different companies. Listen, if you're bearish on growth, you should be bullish on treasuries and vice versa. So I think that's going. To, I think the Fed's not in the driver's seat. We're not in the driver's seat. I think growth is in the driver's seat.
1: Listen, I I really think the reason that we had the outsized move that we had today was because of the rate volatility and the reversal from the high levels that we had seen. But keep in mind, leading up to that level, there was quite a bit of rate volatility buildup to that point. So I'm I'm quite a bit hesitant to say we've definitely peaked in rates. I, I just think that the volatility in that rate particularly the, the longer end of the curve for now is going to continue as we continue to get mixed economic and growth signals. Like we th- <clears throat> This jolts number essentially flies in the face of what we've seen in terms of the unemployment rate. Uh, you know, the, the consumer confidence flies in the face of what uh, we saw last week from the Atlanta Fed essentially calling for, I believe it's six or low six in terms of GDP uh, annual growth rate. So I think there's a quite a bit of push-pull dynamic going on. And I just really think that it was the exacerbated move Back down in rates that led to that outsized move today. You were on vacation.
2: Whilst I was on vacation. See, I didn't say whilst.
5: I didn't say it tonight. I know I said it. You you anticipated. But Tim had mentioned. You know, he talked about potential for this to happen into Jackson Hole, and this is playing out right before our very eyes. But I don't think rates have topped out at all. And I think the reasons why Tim was talking about before, there's going to be a problem moving forward. I think the market's going to demand a higher yield for our treasuries. I mean, I just think that's where we are right now. Today, bad news was good news for the market, without question. And you saw that in terms of what yields did, and in terms of what the market did. But at a certain point, I think bad news will be bad news again. And I think the trajectory of rates, which was lower left to upper right, will continue. I think rates going higher, they go higher for the wrong reasons. We stopped in the 10-year pretty much exactly where we should have the le- level we saw back in October, but I think that's going to be short-lived. So we have not seen the I highs. don't think so. That's I'm not saying I'm right. I just think rates will go higher, but not because we're seeing economic growth. I, but I we're agree seeing inflation concerns.
3: I agree. It's not because, like, how many people have now recanted on their recession calls? So, uh, but I don't think that's what's going on. Um, and I think this is highly, highly technical. And, and I just think we've gotten to a place here where um, I, I, look, we had four decades of yield compression on, on treasuries. I, I actually think it's going to be really difficult to take rates that much lower. And I think it's not that the world is looking at the U.S. difference in terms of reserve currency. I can tell you, it sounds like the, the ratings agencies are. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're talking about politics in a way um, that they are evaluating emerging market nations. And, and so anyway, uh, back to the market, though, it's, it's pretty extraordinary what we were saying after those investments numbers when it gave it all back. Look, that NVIDIA chart still looks like it wants to go higher to me. And and I think that's extraordinary when you consider what has happened and what the expectations were. So um, I think you have to be very careful if if you're looking for this major reversal in markets, because right now, until semiconductors and queues stop giving up the boat, look at Google at 18-month highs. Google hasn't given up anything here. Um, And I think there are places you can stay invested.
2: Is this head scratching to you, Dan, because you've been sort of negative technology for quite some time now?
4: No, I don't. I think this is exactly the story. It, days like today show you just how uh, sensitive you know, that particular part of the market is to the liquidity and interest rate environment. So you're, what that tells you is it's really not so much about the fundamentals. It's really about the liquidity and rate story. So if you're cautious about the liquidity story, and I would argue that a lot of the measures of liquidity are actually showing like looking like they might roll over. you know, you got to be a little bit worried about like that. Like what? Side. Uh, pretty much every measure, you look at the Fed balance sheet, you look at interest rates, you look at uh, lending standards, you look at uh, financial conditions, they're either at these very stretched levels or they're already rolling over from, and that was the opposite of what you've seen all year, which has been a big driver of this story.
2: Right, so that means that logically, if that holds true, that Q should go down. We should see this, this pull out of technology eventually. You,
1: you should see equities go down. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I'll continue to purport that I think that, particularly that five or seven names, whatever acronym we want to use for them, I do think that there is a perceived margin of safety there. And I think given <clears throat> the proliferation of passive in- investing, you get, it's so easy to transact in and out of those names. Fine, perhaps you're going to find better value in some, you know, Russell name or some more obscure name, But in order for you to actually build a position worth having, are you going to move the market against you in a meaningful way? So I just think that, fine, you have quite a bit of liquidity that's being traded on the market, but the liquidity in in and of the actual investable asset itself, I still think will lead those to trade at a premium.
2: So it is the safe haven. Really? It's still the safe haven, <laughs> the magnificent. Don't do
5: it, please, please. Uh, I
2: do air quotes. For people who are listening only, I'm doing air quotes because I don't really mean magnificent. They are the seven largest stocks.
5: They're magnificent companies. I mean, and we've de- sure. deemed them that. But if you watch the movie, The Magnificent Seven, which I'm sure you did, I, have not. I will what tell happens you. to them? Well, four of them got whacked oh, okay. at different times so towards the end is of the movie.
2: Fitting, I don't know, maybe ultimately it'll be a fitting acronym. Could
5: be. Well, and just quickly okay. before, so, I think inflation is going to reaccelerate. You saw, and I don't want to get too wonky here, I don't know if Pippa Stevens is back in EC, but there was a huge crude draw. I'm going inside baseball now, but basically what it means is there was a huge unexpected draw in crude, 11 million barrels it was expecting two that's going to be problematic. Crude's going to be higher tomorrow, which again makes the Fed's job that much more difficult. Yeah,
3: these correlations are, are there. I, I agree with that. And I, I think energy is a great place to be. And, and for all those people that said energy was just a trade, um, you know, we're at we're two years with the XLE outperforming the S&P. And there have been some moments, but it's been rocky. And we've said this. Uh, I don't want to see crude at, at $110. I want to see it at 75 to 85, which is where I think we're settling in and the balance sheets across the board there. Um, I, I think the dollar is another major force here to watch, because if the dollar had and rallied 5% over the last three weeks, I think the markets would be at new highs. And I think the dollar is responding to Fed policy. It is responding to, to cross-border flows. It's responding to some of the economic data here, which isn't going to fall apart. By the way, today's jolts and consumer confidence numbers, I think, had nothing to do with the move in Treasuries and the move in the dollar. I, I just think you've gotten to a place where we priced in. Uh, this is also letting some steam off of, from Jackson Hole. I mean, no one really knew what the Fed was going to say. Right. There was a lot of people priced in there. Um, ECB sent a lot of very dovish signals over the last couple of weeks, which on the differentials to the Fed gave the dollar that room to rally i'm not saying the dollar's going straight down here the dollar is your friend it was a 12-year bull market and i think there's a lot of investing to do internationally that over time reversion to the mean is going to work out here
2: It it does seem like very easily we could see the resumption of rates moving higher at least to the levels that we saw just a couple weeks ago dan just simply because Jay Powell has every opportunity, or other Fed officials have every opportunity to talk the markets in that way. They don't necessarily want to see rates go down. Do they want to see the 10-year yield at 4%? Probably not. Do they want to see it lower? Probably not, because that means a rally in equities. They probably don't want to see that either.
4: Well, I think you know, we're, we're at an interesting point in the cycle where if we're kind of close to the end of the hiking cycle, mm-hmm. you know, most people would say there's zero to like one hike left. You know, this is where growth becomes the ultimate driver. And, and the more the Fed hikes, to sort of clamp down inflation, the more the long end becomes anchored because it's negative for long-term growth and negative for long-term inflation. So you really have to distinguish what part of the curve you're talking about. Sure, the Fed's hikes, the short end goes up, but the long end might not go up. And that's the, that's unique to sort of late cycle periods.
2: I mean, they want the long end to stay high. They want that narrative of higher for longer. That's the policy dimension that yeah. they had to hammer home at Jackson Hole, of which 40- they did
5: Unfortunately, what I think is happening, and again, Dan, I'm sure his thoughts, central banks are learning that they no longer control certain aspects. And you're seeing it in Japan. I mean, right before our very eyes, those yield curve controls, which worked really well for a long time, are no longer working. So they're having an issue here. And I think we're having a similar issue here, not to that
3: magnitude, but clearly the same parallels. Thematically, I also just think that the housing market's going to have a lot of problems. I, I know if you've been investing in the SHB, you've had a great year. Uh, you've outperformed and the components have, have outperformed. But you can't tell me it's not just about where mortgage rates are. It is the velocity of, of all these transactions. And, and we've talked about it. The home builders are in kind of a different place, especially those that are subsidizing uh, a lot of these higher rates. But. You can't tell me if you grind things down. Um, And and ultimately, the affordability really has gotten worse. Um, I I, I just think that the housing market, which is what the Fed also should be targeting. Let's be clear. Where do people have most of their wealth tied up? It's in their home and it's the wealth effect attached to the home. Um, That's good news for the Fed. I know it's not good for everybody out there. But again, I think that the best days for the XHB in 23 are behind it. Uh, It's not that I'm calling for a housing crash. I'm just saying that I get why these these housing stocks and and the peripherals rallied when rates actually went lower. And I get why they sold off. Although, so it had a big day today. I think you'd be careful there.
2: But can, can the Fed actually attack that if people are just staying put? If, they don't, if one doesn't have to sell your house, you don't feel that what? contraction in price. You still feel just as rich as you did before sitting on a two point something percent mortgage.
1: Not if you can't pull the equity out of the home. Not if you can't effectively refi and pull equity out of your home and allocate that spending elsewhere. And I think that's there. And and to the other panelist's point about inflation, if they're unable to drive inflation from three to two percent, which is a purported target, I do think that that 10-year probably is sticky and probably moves, I think Guy said it, closer to that four and a half percent range rather than the three and a half that it feels like yesterday that we were just at.
2: For more on where rates are headed and what it means for the markets, let's bring in the chart master, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, help us answer the question, have we seen the peak?
6: Well, uh, you know, Bonwin makes a good point. Just yesterday, we were at three and a half. And this is the fickle nature of consensus, not Bonwin, meaning Wall Street. Before we look at the charts, we were at three and a half in June. Crude was at $65 a barrel. And the consensus was recession. Now, two weeks ago, it was higher for longer because 10 years were at four, three, five. The reality is actually REITs peaked 10 months ago and we've never exceeded those highs. Let's look at the charts and talk about it. We have four identical charts, but they're different time frames. That's the two year, we move quickly. Look at the five year, uh, look at the 10 year, look at the 30 year. Now one would say, yeah, but didn't they make slight new highs? A breakout, there are rules to this, going by one penny higher, a stock, a commodity, and then faltering, that's what a double top is. That's October 21st, almost 10 months ago. Rates have never exceeded those highs except a little bit just to draw in consensus, higher for longer, and we're all good. We remain, uh, this particular firm, worth charting and those who work here in the lower rates camp. And um, I don't think anything's changed. Ten months later, we don't see it in the charts other than a double top.
2: What does a lower rates camp mean, though, Carter, in this scenario? Is lower rates mean... percent. Do do we actually move to new lows? Do we chug along? And what does that mean in turn for equities?
6: Sure. So the key will be whether we break that uptrend line. It's very well defined on the 10 year, of course, uh, but other parts of the curve. And I think ultimately we do. I think three percent, three and a quarter uh, is in the cards.
2: And what does that mean for equities? Sounds like a rally is in
6: store. Or, is or, it? or something else, or, or or is it? Yes, that that's to be determined. Um, I mean, listen, these relationships are what they are, but uh, consider this and everybody knows, if it was always so perfect, lower yields mean higher stocks. Well, then when the 10-year treasury was at 35 basis points of the COVID low, the S&P should have been at 15,000.
2: Ah, Carter, thank you. Pearls of wisdom always from Carter Braxton, Worth of Worth Charting. That's why he is in the Pantheon. Yeah, he is. Um, so lower rates will mean a bad thing bad world dan that we will be entering <laughs> are you in that camp
4: yeah i mean if he's talking about rates going to three three and a quarter that's pricing in a recession and i think that's a that's a real risk that you have to consider at some point but i think what, what's important is that we have to understand there's risks on both sides I think there's a risk that the economy accelerates, and you have a Guy Dami scenario where we have inflation, and the Fed's got to step in to uh, fight that inflation, and you're going to have much higher rates. But you also have to understand that we had the services PMI roll over last week. We had jolts showing the economy is loosening up, consumer confidence rolling over, delinquencies picking up. There's a lot of things that could cause this reacceleration to peter out. And so I think neither of those risks are priced in on either side.
2: Guy, you usually like to agree with carter braxton worth and yet in this situation you're diametrically opposed diametrically uh, opposed
5: yes but his charts speak volumes and he pull it, with two five ten and thirty mm-hmm. they all look identical yeah. so if you're just looking at the chart you would say you know what carter's right they're going to do this back and fill in a meaningful way i get it i think i think this is one of those cases where you false breakout it pulls back and then you just go ratcheting through to the upside we've seen it before in other things I think you're going to see it here in rates.
3: I think rates have to go a lot higher in Japan, and I think they have to go higher in the European Union. I realize Europe's got a lot of problems, uh, but monetizing the debt right now, remember uh, what happened from the great financial crisis through to where we are today is all the the debt dynamics, the credit dynamics, all that scourge went from the private sector to the public sector. And the question is right now, are we ready to continue to underwrite the public sector in the same way we were over the last decade? The markets are telling you it may be a different day. Either way, uh, discount rates for equities are 250 basis points higher than they were pre-pandemic. Equities, by definition, aren't worth as much. Uh, and I, I, I agree with Dan here. I mean, look, last week we heard a lot of stuff about the consumer and delinquencies and, and from consumer uh, and discretionary that, that I think is, is just the beginning. We haven't heard anything. No one's even talked about it. We get it from Macy's. We get it from Nordstrom's. I'd be careful.
1: Frankly, I think there's compelling arguments on both sides as to whether or not we're at peak rates. I tend to think that we're probably going higher, but I really don't think that's really the question at hand. The question at hand is, are we going to stay where we are or thereabouts for longer? And what is the cost for a rate cut if we end up lower? And I tend to agree with Dan. If we're back at three and a half, as I purported earlier and I was dead wrong, that it's really a recessionary overhang and a real problem spot for, for the equity market.
2: Coming up, huge news in the crypto space, a major win paving the way for the first ever Bitcoin ETF, what it could mean for investors, institutions and the entire crypto world. More on that next. Plus, the iPhones, they are changing. Apple sending out its latest save the dates and a major adjustment could be coming in the iPhone 15, the charging change up when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Ambarella, the semi stock dropping after reporting results down 15% right now. Christina Parts and Nettles has got the details from the quarter. Christina.
7: Although artificial intelligence may drive future business, Ambarella still needs to deal with the, quote, very challenging near term environment that includes weekend demand. Keep in mind, Ambarella is highly exposed to the video processor market, like surveillance cam- cameras or cameras used in cars, but companies are cautiously spending on that kind of hardware. That's why the CEO said on the earnings call that they anticipate their video processor revenue to contract, contributing to that Q3 total revenue guidance decline that we saw at $50 million, lower than what the street was estimated at $67.6 million. The CEO doesn't, quote, expect a recovery in 2023, but a return to growth in 2024. So this time frame is worse than expected, with the CFO calling it a cyclical correction. Their products also include low-power systems on a chip used for artificial intelligence said uh, they shipped about 17 million of these AI processors cumulatively so far, but that future AI potential still not enough to offset the weak end market that the company has been faced with. And that's reflected in the stock drop and obviously the Q3 guidance, which is really weak. Yeah. No. Uh, Christina,
2: thanks. Christina Parts Nevelis. Uh, Guy, what'd you make of this quarter?
5: It's, so we talk about the pie for spend, right? Yeah. CapEx spend. Right. And this might be one of those situations where you're starting to see NVIDIA's gains or names like Ambarella's losses. I'm, now, now I'm, it's, tans- it's anecdotal for sure in terms of this, but you might be seeing more and more of this. Other semi-companies seeing a pullback where other these companies like Nvidia and the AMDs of the world are starting mm-hmm. to see an acceleration? There's only so much spend that can go around. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Today, it's Ambarella's loss.
2: Meantime, Bitcoin surging more than seven percent at its highs today after an appeals court ruled in favor of Grayscale on its spot Bitcoin ETF proposal, potentially paving the way for adoption of exchange traded crypto funds. Kate Rooney's got more on this. Kate. Hey, Mel. So the crypto market is one step closer.
8: To that Bitcoin ETF, Grayscale is one of many of the applications out there. It's tried multiple times to convert its $20 billion Grayscale Bitcoin trust into an ETF. It sued the SEC in a court of appeals in D.C. today, sided with Grayscale, saying that the SEC's initial decision was what they called capricious and arbitrary, and the commission failed to explain why it approved the listing of two futures ETFs, but not Grayscale's spot Bitcoin ETF. If approved, the Bitcoin ETF would get some of the world's largest asset managers on board. You've got BlackRock and Fidelity among those also in line for their own ETFs. It's also seen as a way to broaden the crypto investor base by allowing crypto to be held in more traditional brokerage accounts. And the Spot ETF is also seen as a more efficient way to track prices versus futures ETF. GBTC, that Bitcoin trust I mentioned, narrowing a bit today in terms of its discount to Bitcoin's price on hopes of this approval. You've also got Coinbase getting a bid today. Sort of a surprising move there. On one hand, the ETF could take volume away from Coinbase if people are using more traditional brokerage accounts. Some are interpreting today's ruling, though, as a loss for the SEC, and they think agency may have a little less influence in enforcement actions going forward. Coinbase is locked in its own high-profile legal battle with the SEC. Now.
2: All right, Kate, thanks, Kate Rooney, on this uh, major decision in the crypto world. The discount, though, for the GBTC is still very steep, so it hasn't really closed that if, if there's hopes that there's that arbitrage still to play. Yeah, and,
3: and I, you know, a lot of the, that discount is still making its way back from, you know, everything where we were with FTX, et cetera. Right. And I, I guess I, I will continue to say more regulation is better. Uh, for this industry, but the right kind of regulation. And there's no question that there you can impute a lot of different things from today's announcement. We, we clearly have heard. Um, and the sense was we were getting already had you know, a, a view that you were seeing the major ETF companies already you know, getting the green light, or at least that's where we were positioning. So we've had uh, this over the last three to six months. Bitcoin has really um, been amazingly Quiet. If you think about it, the lack of volatility—the times we've had some of the volatility in the markets—more, um, uh, more regulation is going to send Bitcoin prices higher, not lower.
2: The move in Coinbase was interesting—the one that Kate flagged. I mean, because I would think that it would, in fact, take volume off of Coinbase if it's easier to just buy it through a Schwab account or whatnot.
1: I, I tend to agree, but I think that the underlying sentiment was that higher tides lift all boats, and I think mm. that this was somewhat of an overhang. Pretty compelling argument in terms of the approval of the futures. Um, vehicle but but pushing back on the spot vehicle so i really think they the coinbase tended to move in tandem and it will probably be after you parse through and really think about what the second and third order effects are before you start to see a divergence between the two
2: it was always puzzling to me at least and too many out there watching the uh, court decision initially the sec decision that it was because they couldn't regulate fraud they couldn't control it enough and yet in the aftermath think of all that's happened in the crypto world in terms of fraud.
5: And think, Yes. And think about the move in Coinbase. I mean, to your question, you would have thought, but Coinbase was a $110 stock a month ago, traded down to 72, and then it yeah. bounced. So a lot of that was priced in. This is an extraordinarily volatile stock for a $20 billion company.
2: So with this on-ramp, Um, DAN, DO YOU THINK THAT CLIENTS WILL NOW, WILL YOU HAVE TO HAVE A CRYPTO ANALYST AT RBA BECAUSE THERE'S GOING TO BE MORE DEMAND FOR A POSITION in, IN BITCOIN?
4: No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, on one hand, you know, I think I, I'm worried for the uh, the individual investor because it just gives them another, you know, risky asset that and legitimizes it as an investment. But you know, on the other hand, I think if people want to buy brown suits, you can you, they can get brown suits
3: and and if people are willing, want to risk, I, people I, wanna I, I mean, I would never wear a brown suit, by the <laughs> way, I just think for clarity. I, I don't even think there's any reason for the color brown uh, other than guys UPS outfits with all due respect <laughs> <laughs> to UPS.
2: You own two brown suits. Two brown suits. Wow. Well, <laughs> wow. All right. But just to be clear, that you meant brown suits as being something bad. Do I really want? want.
4: You, <laughs> like, if there's demand for it, there's no reason right. why people can't buy, have a vehicle right. to buy it. Right. That's upsetting to me why? because you Tim knows. brown suits. I
5: can have, his, oh, man, I can just, have a strong the, view the on crack brown. The staff and EC had some video. I mean, you could see. Personally, I look outstanding in brown, and I think <laughs> I'm happy to buy two, two, Not same same man. City. He gets yeah. it. Fancy no. man. Yeah.
2: Well. All right. There's a Thank lot you. more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
6: Do you remember the 12th night of September? Well, you will. That's the date of Apple's next big product launch. The changes you should expect for your iPhone and other surprises could be in store. The details next. Plus, the White House unveiling its first list of drugs in line for Medicare price negotiations. Which ones are on the radar? And what could it all mean for farmer stocks? Ahead, you're watching Fast Money. Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square.
4: Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis.
0: Welcome back to Fast Money. Mark your calendars.
2: Apple sending out invites for its next product event on September 12th, where it's expected the new iPhone 15s will be unveiled. Analysts looking for one of the biggest upgrades in years, a new charging port. Apple could make the switch to a USB Type-C charging port, which is the same type currently used on most laptops and Android devices. The current Apple port has been on iPhones since 2012, so you have to buy a new charger. Just what we all needed to do. Apple stock up more than 40 percent this year, but still down about 7 percent from its record high hit last month. And the question, of course, is can this new upgrade cycle reverse the decline in sales that we've seen for three straight quarters? Guy.
5: Well, I mean, the margins on these items are through the roof. Right. And you know what I mean, they've been doing this for years. There's not it's not coincidence, coincidence that your phone dies at a certain time just when the new phones come out. I get it. Good for them. How do you trade the stock? Well, it did trade down to the prior all time high from December of 2021, like 178 or so. Basically held. Yeah, we had a couple of days through it, but we bounced. So that's a good level to trade against. So if you're an Apple bull, which 95% of the
3: people watching are, you have a real great risk reward setup to the upside. I just think there's, first of all, there's Apple the stock and Apple the component of the market. Um, we're talking about equal weighted uh, ETFs and passive investing as opposed to market weighting are, are what's going on. The magnificent seven sorry guy are, are never going to be this biggest weight uh, at this weighting in the S&P again. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but they've peaked. So this is all negative for Apple. Um, three quarters of declining sales, negative for Apple. Uh, consumer sentiment in terms of discretionary. This is a discretionary spend, not in their favor. Um, I, I think you've pulled forward. Uh, Yes, I need to upgrade my phone every two years, but uh, I still think you've had a major pull forward with all the other devices. And you had the sweetest of all spots for Apple, the stock and the company. Uh, You've got China issues that don't get better. They probably get worse for the company. So why are you overpaying for Apple here? You're not. You shouldn't be.
2: Youth unemployment is estimated to be as high as above 30 percent at this point. So bad they're not reporting the data anymore. Um, Consumers are highly indebted at this point. You like China, but can the consumer actually help Apple out at this point or is it going to be a drag?
4: Well, if you're talking about China, I mean, one of the things that you've heard from the uh, retailers and consumer companies overall this earnings season is that the U.S. consumer was the weak spot. The Chinese consumer was the area of strength. And so, you know, I think that China can be a driver of this. But I agree with Tim. I think that, you know, listen, Apple's a cyclical company. And so if the cycle is improving, they're gonna benefit from that. But why would you pay so much when you can get better cyclicality and cheaper cyclicality elsewhere?
2: It is defensive though. Bonwin is defensive, (laughs) right? There's a- Thick and thin. It is where you want to be. There
1: is a margin of safety. I wanna make sure I kind of differentiate that from calling it a defensive name. It's overpriced. Uh, It's got a ton of cash. It has had sequentially declining quarters of revenue. That doesn't take away from the fact that if there is an incremental dollar to spend, this is likely where people are going to spend it. And frankly, until it, the waiting isn't so massive and until the people that are believers, uh, you know, no longer want to invest in the name, I still do think that there is room for this thing to run. Fortunately or unfortunately, you can agree or disagree with the valuation. I don't think you know, particularly with a name like this, it always trades on the back of valuation. If you don't own it and you miss the move, it's an unforgivable position to be in.
2: Coming up, Pharma in focus after a major Medicare announcement out of the White House. The drugs and stocks being impacted more than that next. Plus, calling all telecom investors, analysts dialing into AT&T and Verizon after a dropped call kind of year. The positive signs of reception they see for these names when Fast Money returns.
6: Missed a moment of Fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rising for a third straight day today. The Dow up nearly 300 points. The S&P up about 1.5%. And investors flocking back to technology. The Nasdaq was up 1.7%. But with just two trading days left in August, the three indices are still in the red this month. Some more after hours action to mention Hewlett Packard, HP Enterprise, both lower after reporting retailer PBH higher after beating at the top and bottom lines and cloud software stock box falling hard even after posting revenue in line with estimates. Meantime, the Biden administration unveiling the first 10 drugs subject to Medicare Part D price negotiations today, kicking off a process aimed at making costly drugs more affordable. The list includes some of the most widely prescribed medications used for patients with type 2 diabetes, blood clots, and rheumatoid arthritis. But with revenues and profits in jeopardy, drug makers like Merck and Johnson Johnson have already filed lawsuits to declare the move unconstitutional. For more on what the Medicare decision means for pharma stocks, let's bring in Jared Holtz. Jared, great to have you with us always. Um, in, in terms of looking at the stock reaction, there really wasn't much of a reaction. I heard a lot of, you know, explanations like this is all expected. We don't know if it's going to actually come about um, so then what will make some stocks that are trading at depressed valuations actually break out then? what What's missing
9: here? Yeah, so I do think there was an expectation here. We've been talking about this mm-hmm. issue for about a year, the IRA and what CMS was going to do. You know, the streets kind of come up with their list. It was mainly right. Um, you know, they need drugs. They need pipelines. They need growth prospects to get investors to say, OK, I'm willing to invest in this company, in this stock for the next three to five years. And without that clarity, without that revenue growth through the decade, I think it's pretty hard. And I think also other growth sectors are acting better. I think it's tricky.
2: Okay, so how um, is there actually a discount uh, put into the pharma stocks for specifically Medicare Part D as well as the future Medicare Part B? Um, negotiations and how much of a discount do you think that is at this point?
9: I think so. I think at least a couple multiple points of a discount. Um, I think the group is traded at a discount to the S&P for as long as I've been covering the sector. And I think drug pricing and the political overhang more broadly is the chief reason why. So we'll have to see how things go. Jared, but if you think about that list those are companies i'm sorry
3: those are drugs that are all possibly coming off patent so not not that big a deal um is is there any politics involved in the companies though who had the biggest exposure here in terms of you know is j and j you know i mean some of the companies is anything about that
9: and and how did they come up with this list i mean it seems a little bit arbitrary right i don't think there was too much politics in it i think they were looking at you know, essentially, what the biggest Medicare spend was on a line item basis by company, and this is kind of what they thought was most reasonable based on yeah. that analysis. If you kind of listen to what they've been saying, I don't think it was politically motivated. I think it was kind of even if you look at Pfizer, Merck, Bristol. To me, there was no real mm-hmm. you know heavy motivation here. Pretty down the line, not a big deal.
5: Pfizer's a thirty-six dollar stock. It was a thirty-six dollar stock eight years ago. I mean, it had a huge room of the upside, but it's It's almost like a mean reversion trade. What can get them out of their stock purgatory, if anything?
9: Well, I think that they can close this deal, the C-Gen deal. I think that'll give investors a little bit to bite on, a little bit to chew on in terms of a positive catalyst. The growth dynamic that Seattle had prior to the deal, I think, is a positive. That could get it up a little bit, I don't think materially. and they also need to really execute on all the transactions that they've done since 2019. They've been very acquisitive. They've done deals in the migraine space, deals in the sickle cell space. All of those kind of have to manifest to where we get a better company.
2: I want to talk about Lilly and Novo Nordisk, which have the highest multiples, thanks to the weight loss drugs. And so Ozempic, as well as Munjaro, are covered under Medicare Part D um, if they're prescribed for diabetes management. So what are the chances that these drugs come next?
9: Oh, it's just, it's a matter of time. It's just right? a matter of These time. are, these so drugs. will
2: have a synthetic, a synthetic end to exclusivity for their biggest moneymakers right now.
9: I believe so. It, it just, it depends on the, the ramp of revenue and how significant these are for the Medicare population specifically. But I would think within the next few years, for sure, there, w- there will be some impact. I think Ozempic will go first. Um, Manjaro might take a little bit longer. Because the the weight loss drug, if you look at Wegovy and Manjaro for Novo and Lilly respectively, those populations are probably not huge Medicare populations, so I'm a little bit less worried. But Ozempic could surely go, maybe next year, or year after.
2: So many questions surrounding that in terms of what the model looks like then, but also with the select data on Wegovy, if it is shown that it is going to be prescribed to reduce cardiac events. Then does that change the game in terms of wagovi now being prescribed for that and covered under medicare and therefore subject to these caps
9: it's definitely it's possible i mean these are all the things these are the dynamics that i think are going to shift over the next few years as the populations change as the drug goes from a diabetes drug to an obesity drug and we're going to kind of have to see how that plays out but i think these are definitely going to be under the gun at some point
2: i'm sure you've done the back of the envelope calculation what does that do to the the valuations here. What does it do to Lilly if you assume Ozempic goes under a price cap in the next year or two?
9: Well, I think for for Novo, for Ozempic, Lilly, for Manjaro, if these drugs are under price uh, scrutiny and there's degradation, I think at the first sign that you could see the revenue start to decelerate, we're years away from that that's when you're really going to start seeing the multiple compress. I think we're a couple years away from that. Mm-hmm. But these are trading at three to four X the group. So you don't really need much for it to converge a bit.
2: Right. Uh, Jared, always great to get your take. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. Jared Holtz, who
3: was on Squawk Box earlier today. No, he wasn't. He's yeah. a man. He's a man in demand. I mean, as he should Apparently. be. He's got some well, it was it's,
2: before the news. Now we have the news. So it's, he's kind of t- well,
3: you know why well, that is.
2: Why is that? Because he's the
5: axe in the space. That's why you want the bit, that's why. I mean, I'm just saying, uh, may, well, go ahead, Tim. Let quick. me,
3: well, let me give you, let me give you a trade because you know, the reason I'm long J&J is it's not just a pharma company, it's got consumer products, it's got med tech and those parts of their business are pretty interesting. I think their pharma pipeline is interesting. The exposure here, as we've talked about is probably negligible for J&J because of the talc overhang is where I think you have opportunity and, and, and granted. Yes, there is still some risk there, but I think you've at least taken some of that risk off the table and it trades at a discount to itself and to its peers because of that, with the strength of those other two businesses, very good. Novo
5: Nordisk was a $90 stock a couple years ago. It's, it's tripled in price. It's almost a half a trillion dollar company right before our very eyes. And it's actually, I think, more expensive now than Eli Lilly on valuation. you got to be really careful here. People have enjoyed these moves. I get it two years away. I get that as well. But one bad headline in some of these names and it's a 10 15% move. So you have to ask yourself, are you willing to risk that given the run these stocks have had, or are you looking to take some money off the table? I think in Novo specifically, you have to sort of pull the ripcord. I
2: don't feel like two years away is that Neither long for this kind of valuation. But uh, I don't know. What's your take on healthcare? care? Well,
1: I tend to agree. Honestly, the prospect seemed a bit scary. And perhaps there's a bit of recency bias here, being that this news just recently disseminated. But essentially if you no longer have this the whole reason why you have this exclusive period is so that you can kind of price your drugs where you want so if that synthetically is kind of going away then what's your incentive to spend on r and d and then what are the prospects for acquisitions look like if you're no longer willing to pay a premium multiple for exclusivity on a drug for a biotech company for example so i see a lot of trickle-down implications that don't necessarily set up well for the space
2: where are you on healthcare quick dan
4: yeah, I think you don't want to you you don't want to give up on healthcare here. It's one of the cheapest sectors out there, and if you think that the economy is going to slow or the consumer is going to be weaker, healthcare is uh, a pretty good place to be.
2: Right, coming up, Pinduoduo pops sales surging in the latest quarter despite China gloom. We'll hit the options pits for a look at the action. But first, dividend dogs AT and T and Verizon both barking higher. <laughs> Should you get your paws on these stocks? Oh my There'll goodness, Mel! No I read that. Stop I now. I <laughs> I will. That's raising more ahead on Fast Money. <laughs> A special week of Mad Money continues tonight. Jim is unveiling more of his rules of investing in his more, most important market lessons. That's tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on CNBC. Meantime, telecom stocks topping the tape today. City upgrading Verizon and AT&T to a buy from a neutral, saying it sees signs of stabilization for the stocks and expects them to be able to keep their lofty dividends. The call a welcome relief for investors in these names. AT&T is down nearly 20% this year, with Verizon down nearly 12% one of those investors is Mr. Tim Seymour.
3: Yeah, and I'll be the first to tell you that not only has AT&T been a dog, but you, you can't own this stock for the dividend. Um, and, and if you're looking at total return, uh, it's this has been a terrible trade in terms of AT&T over the last 10 years, um, certainly up the, over the last five. Now, you can make an argument um, that in their core wireless business the environment has become less predatory t-mobile has eaten their lunch um and now it's in a place where really uh, it's it's about the free cash flow generation from that core business they've divested uh, the media assets and the company now is slowly paying down some debt and the argument is that they can pay this dividend uh, as someone that's owned this stock for a long time don't be in it for the dividend
2: where do you stand on telecom dan
4: Uh, Well, now it's part part of the broader communication services sector, which is dominated by the the big tech names. So, you know, we don't think it makes sense to own. But within that, I think these are, you know, what Tim said, notwithstanding, I think they're relatively uh, good places to be. If you're going to if you're going to want to go buy high yield for similar yields, I'd rather I'd rather own these stocks.
5: T-Mobile, which was in 10 percent of an all time high, AT&T. Just made a 30-year low a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that tells a pretty good story. And these bounces in AT&T, which we've seen a number of times over the years, I'm not laughing the laugh, but they've been they've been relatively. You're laughing sh- at at No, I am laughing at AT&T. I <laughs> am laughing, laughing at AT&T. So you're laughing at, <laughs> AT&T. at the stock? But let's be clear. I'm laughing at For the all stock?
2: The poor people. Because, no, I'm an AT&T. AT- Listen,
5: I'm on the AT. I'm on the and t application. I'm a customer.
2: Doesn't but mean the stock's any good. I am sorry. Yeah. The dividend, I mean, Tim makes a good point because some people say, but it pays a good dividend. You lose that in a day. Easily.
1: Yeah, and then it has and the dividend okay, yield so. looks great. I mean... <laughs>
2: You're laughing at
3: ATT too. Uh,
2: I'm
1: just. I feel like I'm telling the truth with I'm, a smile you're on you're my face. You're laughing
3: at Tim Seymour. No, worries. <laughs> it's okay. It's funny how. Like a clown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I miss you.
2: <laughs> PDD, Pin Duo Duo shares surging to five-month highs today. Is a rally all thanks to its Tmu marketplace. We'll get some answers, and if the options fits, for a look at where the stock is heading from here. More fast money into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of China's Pinduoduo surging after announcing strong Q2 results before the bell. The company beating analysts' expectations and saying it saw a positive shift in consumer sentiment for the quarter. Options traders taking to the news very positively today. Uh, Mike's got the action. Mike.
1: Yeah, it was one of the busier single stock options today. It traded more than five times its average daily options volume with calls outpacing puts. The largest trade we saw in terms of premium was a purchase of 2,600 of the March 105 calls the buyer paid uh, over $10 a contract for those. Buyer is risking about $2.7 billion in premium on a bet that the stock could rally 20% by March expiration. That would be hitting levels it hasn't seen since mid 2021.
2: Yeah, we mentioned Timu, the marketplace. Um, Tim, I don't know if you, I know Guy is definitely not familiar with this, but basically it's like Sheehan. Right. It's very inexpensive. They sell to, It's It's taking the U.S. by storm, that's for sure. Um, and it's one of the reasons why b beat.
3: Well, and, and I, I think there are opportunities here, especially on valuation. A lot of people, you know, again, they're investing in China based upon macro. And sounds like Dan is also somewhat uh, constructive on China here, because I, I think, you know, the valuations of some of these companies who have real businesses and, and are taking market share, not only in China, but here, um, very attractive. Yeah. I'm hurt. Because I actually, in the commercial break, I was shopping on said
5: website. What was it called? Timu, <laughs> <No. laughs> what did you buy? A bunch of Haribo, um, bags of Haribo for the desk.
2: Interesting, because they don't sell that. <laughs>
5: yeah. Tell the truth
3: here. Anyway. I, I mean, I never <laughs> heard You're of it. We're all about honesty yeah, here, uh, fast right. money. <laughs> Mike
2: Coe, thank you from Roshan's Action. Be sure to tune in to the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades.
3: For the final trade, Tim. I think J, outside of some of the overhang here, is gonna give you low double digit growth for you know, the next four or five years. And I think it's it's worth owning over time. You'll get through this on tel.
2: Dan Suzuki.
4: Small caps have lagged other cyclicals they're cheap, and I think profits are about to start to accelerate.
2: Bonowin.
1: I don't think that rate volatility can persist without that trickling into the equity market fix.
2: Look how fast they got here. here.
1: Look
5: how fast they got here. (laughs) That's why it's such a great website. It should be much higher. Marathon
2: Oil, MRL. So violent with those chairs. Yeah, easy with those things. (laughs) Thanks for watching Fast Money Special Series Mad Money. Back to School starts right now.
0: warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.
4: Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to.
0: Emerge as you. Learn more about TREMFIA, including important safety information, at TREMFIA.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed tremphia cost support may be available.